The Identity Theft Council is a newly created national network of partnerships between local law enforcement, businesses, and volunteers that aim to provide local and in-person support for victims of identity theft. The catalyst for the Council's creation? A lack of cross-community communication and education needed to help law enforcement agencies catch and stop perpetrators of identity theft. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. I'm here today with ITC founder and executive director Neil O'Farrell and Karen Lodrick, a victim-turned-advocate who is helping get the council off the ground. Neil, you created the council to address growing concerns among local law enforcement agencies that struggled to curb and end many of the ID theft cases they were investigating. How does the ITC expect to address some of those concerns and communication roadblocks that have been increasingly allowing ID theft to thrive? I think the Identity Theft Council was really born out of a, uh, a sense of frustration between two security veterans. I've been in security now for nearly 30 years, and I was having a conversation with a police officer who had been investigating fraud and identity theft for close to 20 years. We've seen a, a brewing perfect storm, if you like, in the last couple of years, um, and everyone on the ship seemed to be asleep. So um, we try to figure out ways where we might be able to uh, re-energize awareness about identity theft and bring it down to a real grassroots community level, figure out who in, in, in our community has the, the resources, the skills, and the time to um, uh, fight identity theft at a local level. And uh, we started that earlier this year in one city, Hayward, California, and uh, within weeks, it had spread to uh, uh, 15 cities and within months to uh, close to 40 cities. Uh, and uh, culminating in last week, we launched San Francisco as the, the largest metropolitan area to have uh, its own identity theft council. Now, Neil, it seems like a number of organizations and agencies have already launched efforts to specifically target ID theft. How is the ITC different? I think where we're fundamentally different is that we are a community grassroots initiative. There are lots of great national organizations who've been fighting uh, this battle for, for well more than a decade, but they're the first to admit they need help. We, uh, it, it, this really is a crime that, in, uh, that affects every single one of us, even if we're not directly victims. And we realize that, you know, similar to Neighborhood Watch, we can't really leave it to everyone else to solve this crime. We can't rely on law enforcement to solve it. They simply don't have the time or resources. And we can rely on the financial industry. They're in a similar position. We really have to address this ourselves. And the, the, the Neighborhood Watch model is a perfect model. If um, we create a, an organization where people in their own community can help each other, can help counsel victims, can help provide information and intelligence to law enforcement, and can help us spread the education and prevention message, which is the ultimate goal. I think we can do that, what we've done in the Bay Area, we can do that in thousands of communities across the country, and there's never been a response to identity theft like that. Now, the council recently opened, as you mentioned, its San Francisco Identity Theft Sub-Council. What is the overall national goal for the council, and in what states and or cities do you expect to gain a presence first? Well, we started in the, the Bay Area. Obviously, that's where I'm based, but it really, uh, uh, one expert described it as the black hole for identity theft. Uh, um, San Francisco has been described as the number one riskiest city in the nation for identity theft. Uh, but we've had inquiries now from more than a dozen states, from uh, district attorneys, from law enforcement, from better business bureaus. Uh, and our goal, uh, I think, next is to launch something on the East Coast, probably in Washington, D.C., uh, one of the first things that we realized when we took this on was this is way bigger than we are. 
So uh, we approached intersections in uh, uh, Virginia. Uh, you may be familiar with them, particularly in the financial community, but they uh, operate the, the restitution and uh, restoration services for the Identity Theft Assistance Center in Washington, which is a non-profit organization. So we, uh, we enlisted their help in you know, sharing the, the, the knowledge about victim support that we really didn't have on that kind of scale. Uh, and so we thought it only right that using all the resources now we have in Washington, uh, make Washington, D.C. our next major uh, launch pad for a council on the East Coast. Now, Neil, can you explain how the council is structured and how it's supported financially? The council truly is a, a, it's an all-volunteer grassroots community effort. It's, it's only beginning to take shape. It really has, it's, it's caught on like fire and we're trying to uh, uh, keep up with it. Um, it's, uh, we're, we're looking for sponsors at the moment. Uh, we're talking to a number of national sponsors who've shown an interest in helping us out. Uh, and it's, it, it's supported by organizations like Intersections, uh, the Independent Community Bankers of America, uh, the Better National Council of Better Business Bureaus, the Online Trust Alliance, and uh, local credit unions and, and, and community banks have been a tremendous resource. I mean, they're, they're contributing everything from facilities where we can train our uh, volunteer counselors. Uh, credit unions are providing counselors that can be trained so they can in turn help local victims. So it truly is um, uh, every element of the community. In the Bay Area, we have more than 50 organizations contributing in some way. Um, but as we grow out nationally, you know, we're reaching out to national sponsors who, who really believe that this is something that can change the identity theft landscape. Now, you've touched on this a little bit, but I'm just going to ask you to elaborate here. How do you work with businesses such as financial institutions and local governments or municipalities? Well, the financial institutions, we, we, it, it's a two-sided coin. First, we invite them to, to participate, and participating means anything from inviting their employees to be trained as counselors so we can send them out into the community and help victims, to, as I said, providing facilities where we can uh, host training events and meetings. But also, we want them to view identity theft awareness as a marketing opportunity. I've always talked about you know, my experience with my own bank. I, I've been with them for over a decade. They're one of the top three. And I can't remember a single instance in the last 10 years that they've spoken to me about security. I get daily emails from them. I get alerts about bank balances. I get reminders about great offers. But they don't talk to me about identity theft in any way, shape, or form. I could be forgiven for believing that identity theft doesn't actually exist, uh, that banking trojans don't exist. Uh, I believe that if, if, if financial institutions talk to their customers an awful lot more about identity theft, everybody wins. So that's what we try to encourage our local credit union and banking partners to do, to, to get involved really as a community initiative, but also to reach out to their members and to their customers and really sell the message to them. And it really does work out well in our experience for the financial institutions. It makes them look better. Uh, and with local um, uh, municipalities and law enforcement, we partner with them. We um, encourage them to refer victims to us. We train their law enforcement free of charge. We operate seminars on their behalf. Any way that helps them get the message out into the community without it being an extra burden to them. Okay, thanks, Neil. Now, Karen, I'd like to bring you into the conversation. You're an actual victim of identity theft. Could you tell us a little bit about your ID theft experience? I mean, it was pretty traumatic. I mean, you definitely feel violated. I think anyone who goes through it, it's definitely a horrible crime to go through. You know, it's, it's funny because they say it's not a violent crime. But, you know, when you're going through it, it, it doesn't feel like it's not violent. 
you, you definitely feel violated. You don't feel secure anymore. The lack of support that I received because of the lack of resources out there to handle this crime, you know, were pretty daunting to me. I was, I, I was actually shocked in this day and age that what little my bank seemed to be able to do for me, law enforcement seemed to be able to do for me. So, you know, I kind of took matters into my own hands because I didn't see this crime ending for me and I didn't want to have to live with eyes at the back of my head for the rest of my life. So I started doing my own investigating and ultimately found the criminals who were stealing my identity and was able to stop it. So, <laughs> How was your identity compromised? Do you know? It started with stolen mail. They were part of a mail ring here in San Francisco. So it started with stolen mail and due to... Uh, the bank, uh, how banks like to send out those blank checks and the debit cards and stuff like that, they were able to open all that, all those um, up and start withdrawing money from my account. From there, they got my Social Security number, and then once they had my Social Security number, they got all the rest of my information, and they were just able to do, you know, open up anything under my name. Now, how long did it take for you to realize that your identity had been stolen? It didn't seem to take that long. I would say a couple of days because they withdrew out of my um, checking account, you know, $12,000 within like a few days. So it was a pretty dramatic start. But they kept being able to get money and open up loans and open up different accounts for six months um, after that until I, you know, caught them. And then the cleanup lasted another six months. <laughs> for me to clean everything up and get everything straight. Now, you mentioned that you had taken matters into your own hands. What steps did you take to actually find out who had compromised your identity? Well, I did the things that you're supposed to do, like um, get a police report and, you know, contacted the phone company. All the bills that I had, I contacted all those companies, contacted the bank. And um, so everybody knew. And, and most companies, they would, I would ask or request a, an alert to be put on my account. And with the bank, I really worked with them because they didn't really seem to have a system in place for a, a password protect um, or an alert. And it took about six months because it seemed like um, when I finally seemed to be working where they, where the alert came up, you know, like this universal alert. Because for some reason, the bank branches, they don't really talk to one another. So, so they would go into a different bank branch and be able to withdraw more money. Um, even the, and then I would go to that bank branch and I would say, you've got to put an alert on my account. This is ridiculous. And so they would, but then it wouldn't, but then they would go to a different bank branch and it would, and they would be able to get money. So I worked with this one bank branch to say, we've got to figure out a universal way, um, to get an alert put on my account because, you know, I, you know, hundreds of bank branches. Finally, it seemed to be working because I got a phone call from a bank branch manager that said, are you going to come pick up your driver's license? And it happened to be a fake driver's license. It wasn't mine. And the woman who was stealing my identity, she went in there to um, actually with, withdraw more money, and the alert came up, and she got nervous, and she left, and she left the fake driver's license. And so the following day, I went down there to go get the driver's license because I'm like, you know, I'm going to give that to the police. And um, it just so happened that she had the same idea because – waiting for the bank to open next door in the Starbucks, I see this woman and my gut told me that's her. I had seen surveillance photos of a woman. You know, I put two and two together and and it was her. <laughs> I, when I chased her down the streets of San Francisco, I 
discovered that it was her. So with 911 on the phone, waiting for them to come, finally I thought I lost her. And so I kind of stayed put where I was, waiting for them to show up. And then they showed up, and the police went around the parking lot where I was standing, and he found her hiding behind a car. And that's a nice segue into my next question, which was how did you get involved with the council? And it sounds like you have a a personal story there. So when I was getting all this media attention for um, for capturing this woman, I you know I started um, an advocacy on my own where I built a website and you know and I had my phone number up there and and literally um, victims would call me or write to me and say oh my god I was a victim too and oh my god what do I do and you know and I would I'd, I'd been doing this for a couple of years where I was just kind of on a personal level helping victims and I just felt like you know there's got to be some there's got to be something we can do there's got to be something more out there. And so I started doing some research because I was going to start something. And then I saw that Neil found his organization. I thought, oh my God. And then he had, you know, and he had this little note saying, do you want to start, start your own? And I'm like, yeah. So I called him up and I said, let's start something in San Francisco. And it just so happened that he was already, you know, in the works for doing that, for doing a launch, um, which we did in June. And so I, I, you know, jumped on board with him and I, you know, I really liked what he's doing. I like his experience. Every time I'm with him, I learn something more about it, and it's it's real exciting. So, now that you're involved with the council and you and Neil are working closely together, I'd like to ask you some some thoughts about where you see the council going. What do you see as being the most critical role the council will play over the next 12 months? Well, I think in the next 12 months, um, assisting victims, definitely. I mean, that's the the main goal is to is that um, people know that 800 number. And they know we're out there. So a matter of, like, reaching out to people and the community and letting victims know there's help. Um, I'd also like to see um, law, uh, helping law enforcement. They, you know, just don't have the resources. So if we could provide them with training in their academies, you know, for law enforcement that are interested in this type of crime so that we can, you know, help um, educate them. Because I have um, law enforcement friends, and they say that that's one of the things that is really lacking is the the training. So I would love to see that and, um, you know, and just reach out more, you know, just making overall more awareness that we're out out there. And what about the council's long-range goals, Karen? Being a victim of ID theft yourself, what would you hope the council's priorities would be? Definitely, you know, staying focused on the victim, but um, and but reaching out to major cities, like all over the country. Like Neil had mentioned, this, you know, kind of, you know, neighborhood watch where, you know, but for identity theft. I mean, what a great concept and a great idea, and I would love to see it go um, national. Now, Neil, I'd like to bring you back into the conversation. Could you tell us what your top three objectives for the council are, as well as the top three areas of concern you deem most critical for law enforcement and the financial industry? Sure, and I think Karen hit on a lot of the objectives that we have in common, but if I were to add some things, we certainly need national support. We, we have a model and a recipe that now that we know works. We have had so much community support in the Bay Area, and this is a time when people are busy doing other things, but we know it works. We need national support to take this model and this recipe to every other community in the country. Secondly, uh, I think we really have to figure out a better way to improve education and awareness amongst consumers. They, their awareness can be the first, best, and cheapest line of defense against so many threats, but we're not winning that war. We need to do some more work there. And thirdly, we should look at a, a national database of 
victims and compromised identities because law enforcement and victims waste so much time repeating the same message to credit card companies, to debt collectors, to district attorneys, you know, that they're a victim of identity theft. They go, it's like Groundhog Day. So we have to find some national way, particularly when it comes to social security numbers. There is no easy way to put a fraud alert yet on our social security number. We need to figure that out. Okay, and in closing, I'd like to ask each of you to list the priorities you see lacking today when it comes to the fight against identity theft. Neil, I'll start with you, and then Karen, I'd like to move to you. And before we close up the call, I'd also like for you to give us that hotline number that you mentioned so that we can be sure to pass that along to the industry and to our audience. I think the, the, the most important thing we have to remember is uh, we've got to get rid of the apathy. There is a creeping apathy and indifference. I talked about a perfect storm at the start. We are seeing identity theft cases accelerate dramatically. We're seeing an increase in sophisticated malware. Yet on the other side, we're seeing law enforcement having to virtually abandon the fight against identity theft, which is un unprecedented in any uh, crime in, in U.S. history. And we're seeing growing apathy uh, amongst consumers who feel that you know zero liability means they've got nothing to lose. So we really do have to change that. We also have to change the attitude of financial institutions. They could be the key to this. Virtually every consumer in America has a relationship with a financial institution. They can be the conduit. They can be the messenger. They are that trusted authority, and I think they can benefit tremendously if they got into the awareness and education fight an awful lot, an awful lot more often and an awful lot more committed, and I think it would benefit their bottom lines at the time that they need it most. Okay, Karen? Neil touched on a lot of stuff that I would say, too. I think I would add that, um, um, you know, just allowing people to understand. I think there's a lack of understanding, um, of, you know, how you can get so fooled by these thieves, how easy it is. I mean, the smartest people um, can get fooled and become victims. I think just the lack of understanding, I think I'd like to see more awareness, more understanding, and definitely more support and resources for victims. And you mentioned a hotline number that individuals can call. I'm assuming that there's probably only one number right now. Is that a number that we can pass on to the audience? Sure. Our hotline number is 888-771-0767, or they can contact us through our website at identitytheftcouncil.org. Great. I want to thank both of you for your time today. Again, we've just heard from ITC founder and executive director Neil O'Farrell and Karen Lodrick, a victim-turned-advocate. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.